Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Steve Hogerhide. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Redeemer Church, and it's my privilege this morning to open the Word of God with you. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to read verses 22 through 35. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 22. And if you are able to, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Listen carefully. This is God's word. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for enabling us to receive it. Thank you for telling us of the wonderful birth of the Savior of your people. We pray, Holy Spirit, that as you were the one who brought him into the world through Mary, as you were the one who inspired the writing and the preservation of your word, that you would now work in the hearts and minds of our people, that we might understand this word, might see our Savior clearly, and might worship and glorify you. We ask this in the name of him who came to be the Savior, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, for 28 days we've been asking, who is that baby in the manger? And now that Christmas is over, baby Jesus finally can get out of that manger and make his way to the temple. It might interest you to know that more artists, uh, five in all, have painted this scene than any other scene in the Gospel of Luke. So there's something important going on here, something important enough for Luke to include it in his Gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Luke's Gospel is aimed primarily at the Gentiles to show Jesus as Lord and Redeemer, while Matthew's is aimed primarily at the Jewish people to show him as the promised Messiah. 
as an example of the difference, if you look in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, he goes back only as far as Abraham, the father of the Jews. But if you look in Luke's genealogy, he goes all the way back to Adam, to the father of all nations. Luke's purpose, as he expresses it in the beginning of his gospel, is so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And that's true about the story that we're going to consider today, about all of the uh, passages of Scripture that we looked at during Advent, indeed of the entire Bible. And so today we want to see that this baby in the temple is indeed the Savior, the Lord, the promised Redeemer. And we want to give thanks to the Father who gives us such salvation, to the Son who gives his life for us, and to the Holy Spirit who gives us the faith to understand and to believe these things. We'll look at this passage under three headings. First, a firstborn son. Secondly, a song of salvation. Third, a sign, a sword, and a savior. This sermon is brought to you by the letter S. Okay. <laughs> Let's first see then that this baby in the temple is a firstborn son. Verses 22 to 24 of our text tell us the reason why Joseph and Mary are there in the temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now notice that three times in this passage, the law is mentioned, and it's mentioned again in verse 27. So it shows the obedience and the devotion of Mary. But what is this law that is talked about? What is this law that is driving them to the temple with their young baby boy? Well, there are actually two laws that are involved here. The first the purification of a woman after childbirth, and then second, the consecration or redemption of a firstborn son. Now, under the Old Testament law, a woman was considered ceremonially unclean after the birth of a baby. And so she was to bring an offering to the temple or to the tabernacle so that she could be ceremonially clean. Leviticus chapter 12 describes the requirements for this. Forty days after the birth of a boy, a woman was to present to the priest at the tabernacle a lamb and a dove or a pigeon. If she was poor and could not afford a lamb, she could present two doves or two pigeons. And so we see that Joseph and Mary here were obedient to this command, and we also see that they were poor because they were not able to offer a lamb. They offered doves or pigeons. I can't help... But think about what uh, Abraham said to Isaac, his son, on that great day of his testing, that God himself would provide the lamb for his offering. And even as God did provide the lamb that day for Abraham to sacrifice instead of his son, so now God has provided the lamb, his very son, as the sacrifice for his people. Now, the second law of the consecration or redemption of the firstborn son 
goes back even further. It goes back to the first Passover and the exodus from Egypt. In verse 23, in fact, Luke quotes from Exodus 13. In that chapter, God tells the Israelites that every firstborn male of humans and of animals belongs to him. Consecrate to me every firstborn male, he says in Exodus 13. He further tells the Israelites to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb and to redeem every firstborn among your sons. Now God tells them to do that so that they will remember the day that God brought them out of Egypt, when he brought them out of bondage, when he put to death the firstborn sons of the Egyptians and their animals, but spared the firstborn of Israel through the Passover lamb. Joseph and Mary then bring their firstborn son to the temple to redeem him in obedience to the law, to remember the great deliverance from slavery that God had given to his chosen firstborn, Israel. As one commentator said, on this 40th day, the Redeemer was himself redeemed. Not that the Savior, the sinless Savior, needed redeeming, but he subjected himself to all the demands of the law. Many weeks ago, one of the first devotionals we looked at was firstborn. And we remember that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, the highly favored Son of God, the one in whom the Father is well pleased, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus is the one who redeems his children from the curse of the law and from all their sins, and who will bring them from the dead and take them with him to his Father's house, where they will live with the Father forever. Hebrews 1 verse 6 says, And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Let us too worship, praise, adore, and serve our glorious Savior, the firstborn Son. In response then to this firstborn Son, we next hear a song of salvation. We now meet a man named Simeon whom Luke calls righteous and devout, similar to the way that he had described Zechariah and Elizabeth and to the way that Matthew in his gospel describes Joseph. Luke also tells us that the Holy Spirit was on Simeon, a blessing that a limited few had before Pentecost. Luke also describes Mary, Elizabeth, and Zechariah as being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's striking that all four of those so described as filled with the Holy Spirit sing songs of joy, songs that Luke records for us in his gospel. In fact, Simeon's song here is the last of five, those four songs plus the songs of the angels that is recorded in Luke's gospel surrounding the birth of Jesus. Here's an interesting fact. In the Trinity hymnal, the hymnal that is jointly published by the Presbyterian Church of America and Orthodox Presbyterian Church. There are 35 hymns on Christ's birth, but only 24 hymns on his resurrection and only 13 hymns on his death. There's something about the birth of a Savior that inspires singing. 
The Holy Spirit had told Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah, which was an incredible blessing. This is exactly what generations of Israelites had been looking for, waiting for, hoping for. And now the Holy Spirit assures him that he will see the Messiah before he dies. Is it any wonder that he says that he may go now, now that he has seen the promised Messiah? And what more does he need or want to see on this earth? May each of us find in Jesus the Messiah all that we would ever see or want, all that we would ever want on this earth. And may we also sing to him with songs of joy and salvation. The Holy Spirit now leads Simeon into the temple courts just as Joseph and Mary enter. Now the courts in Herod's temple, this would have been the large inner court just as you enter the temple. Surrounding the outside of the temple were the courts of the Gentiles, and as you enter the temple proper, you come into the court of women, which it was called, which could hold about 6,000 people. So imagine a space that's roughly eight to 10 times the size of this sanctuary. And Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus there, and the Holy Spirit leads Simeon directly to them. Now, let me hear, let me see a show of hands. Parents, how many of you would allow a complete stranger to hold your 40-day-old baby? I'm not seeing any hands. I'm not surprised. Somehow, the Holy Spirit must have convinced Joseph and Mary that this man, Simeon, was safe, that they could allow him to hold their baby. But they would marvel at what he says about their baby boy. Simeon addresses God as master, and he calls himself a bondservant or a slave who's now being set free or released. That doesn't necessarily mean that Simeon died right after this, but it does mean that he had now been set free from his long vigil, his watch for the Messiah. For Simeon is not just seeing a baby boy, but he is seeing the salvation of God, God's promised Messiah and Savior. Our Advent devotionals this year tried to do the same, to show us that this was not just a baby in a manger, but that this was and is the very salvation of God, Jesus, whose name means the Lord saves. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, said this, now, if the sight of Christ, while he was yet a child, had so powerful an effect on Simeon that he approached death with cheerfulness and composure, how much more abundant materials of lasting peace are now furnished to us who have the opportunity of beholding our salvation altogether completed in Christ? In other words, having seen and experienced and received salvation in Christ, are you now ready and willing at any time for him to call you home? And until he does, are you ready and willing to serve him and to sing for joy to him? Simeon goes on to proclaim that Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles as well as glory for Israel. Now, we might find that a little surprising coming from a Jewish man living under the domination of the hated Roman Empire. 
But he's here referring back to prophecies from the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, God says to his servant, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. And then in Isaiah 49, verse 6, he says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And then going back even further in the Old Testament, we see Balaam, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prophesy that a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will arise out of Israel. And then going even further back to the first book, to Genesis, we see in the promise of Abraham that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Simeon here is saying that through this baby Jesus, all peoples will be blessed. Blessing will come to all the nations. That Jesus is that star that has arisen out of Israel. That Jesus is the light of the Gentiles. For all of us, Jews and Gentiles alike, this baby boy in Simeon's arms is our salvation. He is the promises of God kept and now revealed. He is, in the words of Charles Wesley, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Is he the joy of your heart? Is he your desired one? I pray that he is, now and forever. Finally, we look at the words that Simeon now addresses to Mary, and we see that he speaks of a sign, a sword, and a savior. We read in verses 34 and 35, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. But first we notice that it says the child's father and mother marveled at what Simeon said about him. Now, we might find that strange. Do they not understand who their baby boy is? Do they still not understand after an angel had spoken to each of them individually, after hearing the testimony of the shepherds, after Simeon's blessing, do they not understand? Or are they simply overwhelmed at the mercy and the grace of God? Are they just astounded that God has now brought his promised Messiah into the world and that he is, in fact, their baby boy? Question, do you marvel in unbelief or do you marvel in belief? All the names and titles of Jesus that we looked at through the Advent devotions. Do you understand who it is? Do you understand who this baby boy is? Do you love and serve him and him alone? I pray that all of you here today and in listening on live stream are trusting in Jesus and in him alone for salvation and that you will worship and serve him. Simeon now tells Mary that Jesus will cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Based on what he goes on to say, it appears that he's here referring to the divided response of the Jews 
to Jesus' ministry, that some would disbelieve and fall, others would believe and would rise. He may be referring to Isaiah 8:14, which speaks of the Lord being a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. A prophecy that the Apostle Peter applied to Jesus in his first letter. Also, the word that is translated rising here is the word that is usually translated resurrection. Simeon is here pointing to the fact that no one can remain neutral toward Jesus. As one commentator said, Jesus is the inescapable one. Sooner or later, everyone must take up a position with regard to him and must choose for or against him. And so I ask you again, how do you view Jesus Christ? Is he a little baby boy trotted out annually for your Christmas celebrations? Or is he the second person of the Trinity, the Lord himself, the eternal Son of God, the Lord and Savior, come in flesh? You can't escape him. I pray that if you have not yet done so, that this day you will come to him in repentance and in faith. Next, Simeon says that Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against. Throughout Jesus' ministry, the Jews were constantly asking him for signs. Give us a sign, they said, to show that you are who you say you are. Give us a sign to prove you are who you claim to be. And Jesus did give them signs. He turned water into wine. He miraculously fed thousands of them in the desert. He opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the feet of the lame. He even raised people from death. And after he had done all this, what do they say? Well, after Jesus had raised Lazarus, the chief priests and Pharisees got together and said, here is this man performing many signs. So after they actually acknowledge that he had performed signs, they decide, let's kill him. To put it mildly, I guess you could say that's a sign that will be spoken against. John writes near the end of his gospel, in John chapter 20, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believe the signs that Jesus gave. Believe the words that he spoke. Believe the words written about him. Believe that he is the Messiah and trust in him so that you might have life in his name. Finally, Simeon tells Mary that a sword will pierce her own soul. Wow, thanks a lot, Simeon. Give me my baby boy back. You may go now. I'm sure that Mary and perhaps Joseph as well were a little surprised when Simeon said these words and wondered, why is he saying this? And why is he directing his words to Mary and not to Joseph? Well, Simeon, guided by the Holy Spirit, is prophesying about the very real pain that Mary will someday experience. Given that the Bible makes no mention of Joseph after at being at the crucifixion, and given that at the crucifixion Jesus entrusted his mother into his disciples' care, 
the likelihood is that Joseph had died before then and so did not see his son's death. But Mary was there, watching as her son was beaten, mocked, stripped, nailed to a cross and tormented by soldiers, criminals, and Israelites. Mary's soul was pierced with grief as she watched her son, who had been prophesied by angels, worshipped by shepherds and magi, blessed by Simeon, die a painful and humiliating death. But death would not be the final word. Mary's son would rise triumphantly from the grave and would ascend into heaven, there to rule and reign in power and glory until he comes again as the righteous judge and redeemer of his people, the King of kings and Lord of lords. All of Simeon's words have come true, and for that we are most grateful. Who is that baby in the temple? He is none other than the promised Messiah, the Son of God, Emmanuel, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the lamb of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the good shepherd, the way, the truth, the life, the great I am, the word made flesh on Christmas day. He is the one who declares, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. And he says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are all that you were prophesied to be. That you are the Son of God himself, eternal. That you are man, that you are our Savior. You are the only one in whom is life and light and hope and peace and joy and salvation. We pray, Lord, that all of us here would trust in you, would love you, serve you, sing to you, and praise you now and forevermore. Amen.